This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This week, Burnley travelled to Leicester. Another away match in the Premier League. Would it be another defeat? This is the No One and Ever podcast. Hello and welcome to this week's No One and Ever podcast. I'm producer Matt, sitting in for Natalie once again. This time she's not at work, she's sunning herself in the Bahamas. All right for some, isn't it? Joining me this week is Dave Roberts. Dave, good evening. Uh, good evening, Matt. Unfortunately, Robbie has come up with some internet problems this week and is unable to join us. But we will be hearing later on from Gemma, who will give us an update on the Burnley women's team and the Lionesses and her thoughts on how Burnley men's team has gone on this season since we last spoke to her. We'll also be joined by another Claret from Down Under as David Felstead joins us from Perth, Australia later on in the podcast. So with all that to come, let's go straight into the Leicester game. Now on Friday night, we asked you for your uh, score predictions on this game and it it didn't make very pleasant reading really. There was a lot of uh, people expecting us to go down to another defeat and and some expecting us to go down to a particularly heavy defeat. There were just one or two uh, positive ones out there thinking we might be able to sneak a win or keep a clean sheet. And they were right because the Clarets did indeed keep a clean sheet on Saturday down at the King Power Stadium. It was an emotional afternoon at the King Power Stadium as tributes were paid to the victims of the helicopter crash and also for Remembrance Weekend. So the teams were announced at two o'clock and we asked for your reaction for the Burnley team. And again, we got a mixed reaction. Some people were upset to see Vidra not starting again. People were asking why Ashley Barnes wasn't starting and other people were just trusting in Daesh. Now, we expected Kevin Long to come in for James Tarkovsky. Dave, the midfield changes. Jack Court came back in for Ashley Westwood and then uh, Robbie Brady stayed on the bench again. What did you make of those decisions? Uh, I think it was maybe safety first in that respect. I mean, uh, Jack Cork um, had only missed that uh, last game, hadn't he, uh, since uh, against West Ham since he came back to the club. Played all of last season, every single minute in the Premier League. Obviously, he had to go off uh, injured um, and then also uh, missed a, a, an entire game. He was obviously ready to come back in. I thought he did well. I thought he was um, he was solid. Um, his play was reassuring in the Burnley midfield. And I think it was, it was sort of that safety first uh, attitude. We didn't want to go gung-ho 
I think that we did weather the storm in the first half, but thought the plan worked reasonably well. And then when Brady did come on later on, um, it gave us a, another option. And uh, that was perhaps the way around that uh, Sean Dyche wanted to play it. Yeah, absolutely. They, they did look more composed at the back on Saturday, less panicky. They also looked like they wanted to be first to the balls. Uh, it looked more like the Burnley of last season for me. There was also a change up front with Vidja being dropped and Wood coming in. What did you make of Deitch's decision on that one, Dave? Um, yeah, I mean, going 4-4-2, having two uh, big strikers up front. Again, I think the, the game perhaps suited that. You've sort of got Wes Morgan at the back. And I think perhaps uh, having two big men going up against him, that was uh, part of the thinking as well. I mean, Burnley weren't that potent as an attacking force. We had a few chances, maybe more from set pieces. We had one from Chris Wood, didn't we, where he just couldn't keep the ball down. But I think it was always going to be one of those games that you know we weren't going to be dominating the game. You know, away from home, I think there is sort of a, a safety first policy, you know, and, and we have done that and, and nicked games before. But to get a, a, a nil-nil draw, get a clean sheet was uh, particularly pleasing on Saturday. Yeah, I felt that the getting the clean sheet was was more important than scoring on Saturday. I think in a similar way when Dice joined us and we were leaking goals, he, he seemed to correct the defence first and then we moved on to scoring goals. One thing we didn't do on Saturday was concede early, something that you'd pointed out on last week's podcast. And I think that helped the side to settle down and get into the game. They also seemed to be kind of reducing Leicester in some ways to kind of the low percentage shots that that Dyche talked about last season, shots from outside the area and from from out wide, uh, just the handful of those coming through the middle that Hart seemed to deal with. We talked about Burnley getting back to basics. In fact, Burnley have talked about Burnley getting back to basics over the last few weeks. Do you think we're we're there now? Um, And do you think they can continue this after the break? Or or do you think the break's come at the wrong time? Do you think they could have done with another match after this one? No, I mean, it was was pleasing to to get back and uh, be a lot more solid at the back. I mean, the... As you say, the, the shots we did concede, I think more than half of them were from outside the box. And, you know, again, lot, lots of players behind the ball and playing defensively, as we know Burnley can play. And I think, um, you know, Kevin Long came back into the side, slotted in and uh, seemed to do really well. I think perhaps James Tarkovsky had been struggling with his uh, injury over the last few weeks. And I think once you kind of know that, that kind of does perhaps have a bearing and... Uh, you know, you're thinking of, of how he played in previous matches and you know the fact that we did struggle defensively in the last couple of matches. So we asked for uh, people's player ratings on Twitter. Uh, we asked who stood out for people on Twitter and uh, names that cropped up on a number of occasions were Matt Lowton and Charlie Taylor. At Andy Burnley FC said, I thought Taylor and Lowton were really good. Just what you need from fullbacks and repeatedly tackled and stopped the ball coming over. Andrew Campbell said he was fascinated by how much more solid our back line was without Tarky and what that means. Dave, if Tarkovsky is fit after the international break, do you think he'll come straight back in or do you think Long's uh, put in a good performance and will get a couple more games? It's hard to say. I mean, he's, he's had a, a minor operation, I think, as um, James Tarkovsky now as well. So, you know, these things do take a little bit of time to uh, to recover, even for something like a, a hernia, I think, is... Uh, what was mentioned. So, I mean, I think Kevin Long, we know what he's capable of. He comes into the side. He doesn't tend to get long runs in the side. When he does come in, he rarely lets the side down. It did seem to be um, uh, solid at the back and gave us a little bit more solidity than we had certainly seen in the last three games, conceding uh, 13 goals. 
um, to come back and keep a clean sheet um, the side and uh, him particularly be very pleased with that and also uh, Joe Hart in goal it must be demoralising to uh, to be playing reasonably well and, and keeping lots of shots out but then also having to uh, concede so many goals as well particularly as two of those matches were against his former teams Yeah there was a, a couple of incidents there in, uh, for Joe Hart that I wanted to pick up on there was a, a good save he made from, uh, from Demara Gray when uh, Goodmanson lost the ball in midfield, just got the faintest of touches on it, I think, to turn around the post. And then there was also the the, uh, the moment where he punched away and then Lowton was there to clear off the line. Again, that just seemed to remind me so much more of the Burnley that we, we, we know and love, people being there, backing up each other. I think you go back to kind of a couple of weeks ago, those chances may have snuck in. Um, we may not have been that organised and that focused on, on defending that goal. So I think, yeah, to, to people picking out Matt Lowton, I think got it spot on. I think he had a, a really good game and he avoided picking up a booking, which means he's free again for, for the next game. A worrying moment in the game was when we saw uh, Stephen DeFore go off with a knock. Hopefully that's uh, nothing major and we'll see him back after the international break. But he gave Jeff Hendrick the opportunity to come on and get a good half an hour or more. And that was another name that cropped up on Twitter on Saturday night as someone who people felt had had a good game when he came on. What did you uh, make of Jeff's 30 minutes, Dave? Um, yeah, in some ways, it's probably our uh, best spell of the game. I think also Robbie Brady coming on uh, later on. We had a little bit more in terms of potency going forward, creating a few more chances. And, uh, you know, on another day, Burnley might have uh, sneaked a 1-0 win. I think, as it was, we had to kind of... Uh, you know, weathered the storm in terms of the Leicester attacks and, you know, they had a lot more corners than Burnley had as well, but Burnley defended uh, very well what, what they had to do. You've mentioned the one also regarding uh, Joe Hart. I think he closed it down really well when Damari Gray was through. I think Kevin Long may have put him off slightly as well, but the combination of him and Joe Hart did well to, to make sure that didn't come to anything, whereas in you know in, in previous weeks that might have been one where we'd, uh, we'd conceded. But, you know, it was a game that was finely balanced, I think, in terms of chances. You know, Leicester could have got a goal on the breakaway. Burnley could have got a chance and uh, and scored as well. I think in the end, a, a nil-nil scoreline was probably a, a fair result on a day where, you know, in, in terms of everything that was going on at, uh, at Leicester, respect for the chairman um, and the, the helicopter crash. It was a, a very emotional day all round. I think uh, it was mentioned on Match of the Day by Gary Lineker how well Burnley had passed themselves off. You know, we'd, we'd basically we'd, we'd treated the day with uh, respect the way it should have been. And, you know, Burnley fully played their part in a day that was very difficult for uh, for all the fans and the players down at uh, Leicester. Yes, we did ourselves proud down there, I think. Um, I know there was a bit of footage on Twitter from uh, from Clout in the away end, just giving us a taste of, of the atmosphere there. It was, uh, it was spine-tingling, to say the least. And, and we saw Mike Garlick out there in the centre circle laying a wreath before the game as well. So moving on from the rest of the game, uh, we're now entering international break. And there's nobody representing England for Burnley this time round with Tarkovsky's injury. But we have got Clarets going off to uh, to represent the Republic of Ireland with Robbie Brady recalled. Uh, Martin O'Neill was at the game on Saturday, obviously as an ex-Leicester manager. But I'm sure he'll be keeping an eye on Robbie Brady, Kevin Long and Jeff Hendrick as they played out there. And also Sam Vokes will be going off to Wales as per usual. Good Munson to Iceland and uh, Vidra to 
of Czech Republic. I'm not forgetting Jimmy Dunn for uh, Republic of Ireland as well. Obviously, he's on loan at Hearts, but he's been called up for the uh, full Irish side as absolutely, well. Absolutely, yes, absolutely. Hopefully, he, he may see some game time, perhaps, over the, the two games that they've got coming up. Always a nervous time at an international break. Always fingers crossed that uh, your players will return unscathed, but also you want them to go out there and get that valuable experience that being part of the national squad and playing internationals can bring. So after the international break, we have to wait just a little bit longer than every other Premier League team as we are the Monday night game when the Premier League returns. Under the lights, in front of the cameras, playing Newcastle in what is probably fair to be deemed a six-pointer as Newcastle sitting just above Burnley at the minute in the table. Dave, do you think Dyche will go for it a bit more on this game, maybe play you know, a more attacking lineup? Or do you think we'll see Brady come into the starting line? Or do you think we'll see Vidra come back? Or do you think he'll still be kind of taking it a little bit easy and making sure we don't concede early and don't give ourselves a mountain to climb? Um, I don't think we'll go gung-ho for it. I think, um, you know, a measured approach will be the uh, the order of the day in that one. It's obviously a game you, you don't want to lose, but obviously look, playing against a, a team that's sort of in around you, you'd be hoping to, to get something against uh, against Newcastle and also, you know, the games coming up that we've got against um, other teams in a similar position as well. But, you know, we, we we don't go out and set ourselves up. And I don't think you can. I mean, I'm, I'm not sure there's any game in the Premier League where you can go out and think, oh, yeah, we're going to knock three or four past these. Every game's difficult, um, no matter who you're playing. You know you've got a real tough game against the uh, the top six. But down the bottom, you know, everyone's fighting tooth and nail for those points as well. So there might be one or two changes. You know, Robbie Brady's one you've mentioned it may well be we see him come back into the starting lineup, but I don't see us going gung ho for it. I think we'll be uh, be measuring the approach, and um, we'll be patient if we need to be. We'll be patient, and uh, and hopefully that can pay off. We do need to get our uh, our home form back on track. We've seen it obviously with Bournemouth uh, this season, and a very convincing win against them. We'll be hoping to get back to uh, to that sort of uh, form and a, a result, a positive result against Newcastle is the main thing. Whether that's a, a, a one nil, you know, if we can get a, a dodgy penalty in the last minute and win one nil, I guess we'll set up for that. But we'll be hoping for for a better performance and uh, and hoping that we can uh, we, we can we can get past Newcastle because it's a, a vital game and you know, the, the whole country will be watching with uh, with it being in front of the cameras as well. Yeah, I think I think we would all take a, a one nil at this stage. We've got a, a decent record over the years at home against Newcastle. The stats you provided for us show uh, twenty eight wins out of fifty games, which is pretty decent. Let's just look back at some of the uh, the more notable games over history, and there was a couple of a uh, couple of high scoring games back in the in the 60s and 70s. you want to fill us in on those? Yeah, well, we had a, a big one, 5-3, uh, I think, was the biggest aggregate score I could find, certainly in uh, in recent years, well, recent years, post-war years. The teams actually played on uh, on New Year's Eve. That was um, the year after we won the titles. So that was in uh, in uh, December 1960. Burnley won 5-3. Uh, Jimmy McElroy scored. Uh, Jimmy Robson got a couple. Gordon Harris and uh, Brian Miller were on the score sheet that day. Um, and then there's another one in the 70s as well. I mean, Burnley had uh, been knocked out of the FA Cup by Newcastle. And then the following season, they managed to get a, a 4-1 win at Turf Moor to get some sort of revenge for the FA Cup um, defeat. Uh, Leighton James has scored for Burnley. And uh, Peter Noble had also got a hat-trick as well. And then they went on a little bit of a winning run against Newcastle at home uh, 
in Division Two in the in the late seventies and early eighties, I believe. Yeah, that's right. I mean, we um, they'd actually beaten us the season we went down, so seventy five, seventy six, Burnley got relegated, um, and we played Newcastle on Boxing Day. Uh, Tommy Craig had scored a, a penalty, and uh, Newcastle won one nil. Uh, but the next three matches, which were all played in the second division, uh, Burnley won all three. Um, and the last of those was in uh, March 1983. Uh, Burnley won 1-0 and uh, Terry Donovan scored the winning goal. And then there was a huge gap then. We didn't have any other games until um, uh, the two Premier League games. We played them in 2014-15 in December of that season. George Boyd scored, but his goal was cancelled out by uh, Papis CC goal in the second half. That was a, a milestone game. So it was uh, Sean Dyche's 100th match in charge of the Clarets. And then last season, we played them, and that was another important game, uh, a milestone game, in that it was Sean Dyche's uh, fifth anniversary as Burnley manager. And you may recall we uh, another one that was played in front of the Sky cameras on uh, on a Monday night, so that could, that could be a good omen. Burnley won 1-0, and it was Jeff Hendrick who popped up with a goal, I think about 15 minutes to go. And that was the only goal and a 1-0 win for Burnley. So Burnley have got a de- decent record against Newcastle. Looking back, uh, 50 games we've played, 28 wins. And over recent seasons, Burnley uh, have done reasonably well against Newcastle at Turf Moor. Indeed, yeah. We hope that will be uh, another repeat of last year. I think everybody would take that at this stage. Now, Dave, you were at a different kind of football match yesterday. As you uh, went along to the Len John Rose charity match at Bamber Bridge. Could you give us a... A bit of a summary on how that went down and, and which Claret legends you saw out there on the field. Yeah, it was a great day at, at Bamber Bridge. It was a ground I hadn't been to before. It's a, a, a lovely little uh, little ground. Um, I think it holds about 3,000 in total. There's um, a grandstand down down one side. And yeah, there's some uh, some real Burnley legends. Well, legends from, from both sides on show. Obviously Swansea, who Lenny John Rose had uh, played for. Uh, as well, uh, they had sent a team up, and there were some uh, well-known names on on that team as well. Leon Britton, Lee Trundle, um, he was he was playing for uh, for Swansea. But in terms of the, the Burnley players, yeah, there were some uh, some legends on on show. There was uh, uh, Brian Jensen in goal. We had Robbie Blake. We had uh, Glenn Little. Uh, Gareth Taylor looked uh, fitter than he did when he was uh, playing. I mean, you recall Gareth Taylor scored, I think, the majority of his goals with his head from inside the area. I can't remember him scoring uh, too many with his feet. He scored Burnley's first goal, and it was sort of a, he must have been sort of 25 yards out and uh, and lobbed, lobbed the Swansea keeper. It's uh, not a goal I'd seen him score for, for Burnley's time, but he looked. Uh, uh, extremely fit still. Um, like, there's obviously an age gap in terms of the players. Some some obviously were older than others, and it's uh, reassuring to see it's not just uh, non-footballers who suffer from middle age spread. Let's say, but you know it was a, a fantastic game. I think played in great spirit. Swansea ended up as I think ten seven winners in the end. So there were goals galore for. Round about, I think, a thousand fans who turned up on the day, but it was a, a great occasion. And uh, you know, um, seeing the pictures afterwards as well, the, the review on the Burnley website today, and the uh, smile on Lenny John Rose's face, the, uh, the you know his former teammates who shown up for him, and all the supporters. It was um, you know a, a fantastic day, fantastic day, and, and obviously raised a lot of money for for MN, MND. Um, which Len's uh, suffering from and has done so much to you know, raise awareness of um, of that illness. It's always great when you can raise money by putting on an event like that, which which has a, a double benefit. There are a lot of people very keen to see that 
their legends and their idols turn out one more time in front of their eyes. So, uh, so thanks for that recap, Dave. I think now we'll turn to, uh, to the women's football and we'll bring in our women's football correspondent, Gemma. Gemma, welcome back to the No Name of a Podcast. It's been a while. Thank you. It has been a little while. Thank you very much for having me back. And uh, both the Burnley ladies and the Lionesses have been busy whilst you've been away. Uh, let's start yeah. with the Burnley team. They've had a bit of a mixed successes. Yeah, it's been a bit of a mixed bag, to be honest. I think they had, um, last time I was on, I was talking about the amazing start to the season that they'd had. I think it was seven unbeaten that they went at the beginning. And obviously for, for anyone that might have missed things earlier on in the season, Burnley FC ladies were promoted last season to the FA Women's National League Division One North. So for them to go straight into, obviously, the, the next league up and to sort of absolutely smash it for those first few games, we were really, really obviously impressed with how they'd really stepped it up. A lot of the players are quite similar or, or the same players from last season as well. So to have applied themselves to the new league, which is a big step up, was really impressive. They did take a little bit of a dip in form a few weeks ago. They went through most of September, to be honest, breezing it into the beginning of October and then took a little bit of a dip in October. But the good news is, is things are really back on track with them. I think they're three unbeaten at the moment and they're still top of the league. So if you can imagine, it's, it's almost like the equivalent of going from non-league kind of the national league in the men's game up into league two and to have gone straight to the top of that league and and to still be sort of holding that spot is is really really impressive so I can sort of talk you through a few of their last games if you want and talk you through a few of the results absolutely yeah fire away so I'll start off with the most recent one, which was yesterday. So that was against Crew, and that was away. And they managed to beat Crew 4-0 yesterday. And previous to that, they played um, Newcastle, which was about two weeks ago. So one of the things with women's football is you tend to get some quite long, lengthy breaks between it. But it's not been too bad so far. But I think towards the sort of next half of the season, you might notice things start to slow down a little bit, especially with a lot of the pitches start to suffer as we go into sort of December, January. But they played a couple of weeks ago, they played Newcastle and that was an away fixture and they beat them 1-0. And I know that Matt B, the coach, did some kind of video content and was doing some content on the community sites and was saying that, you know, they they were suffering quite badly with injuries for that game and to go away to Newcastle. I think that was probably one of the the proudest results that they've had so far um, to secure that 1-0 win. And then before that, they played Withenshaw and that was in the Lanks FA Cup and they beat them 7-0. So they're a really good scoring team. They don't seem to concede a lot either, which you know, it's obviously fantastic news and it shows that they've the, they've got a stable setup. Um, a lot of the goals tend to come from maybe f- two or three key players. A few of the names you might have seen, it's the girls that were nominated for the Northwest Football Awards. So Leah Embley, Sarah Greenhouse and Evie Priestley are sort of the girls that seem to be scoring a lot. It's not really a big spread across the team. It's really sort of two or three key players, um, but they do score a lot. So it's, it's really exciting and I think you know, some of the stick that women's football does get every now and again is that there's not a lot of goals and things like that but that's where sort of Burnley seeming to really break the mould quite a lot so scoring machines at the moment the previous game to to the Withenshaw one where they won 7-0 was the um, League Cup unfortunately they went out of the League Cup they went to Huddersfield and got beat 1-0 and it was a 93rd minute penalty which you can imagine you know for the team must have been absolutely heartbreaking to concede you know to hold on to 0-0 for 93 minutes and then to concede 
the penalties echoing the men's games of uh, not too long ago last season but yeah they're just doing they're doing great great work and as I said the the top of the league at the moment it's a bit of a, a sort of tussle with Brighouse ladies so we both sort of seem to keep swapping places but I think as far as I know my understanding of the league when they've changed over the summer is that it's only the champions that go up from this league up into the Premier Division North so I think you know obviously the more it continues to be a top of the top of the league tussle between those two teams it's, it's really exciting to watch so all good stuff. Yeah it sounds really good I had a, a little taste of the Burnley ladies team a few weeks back when their uh, development squad came to play Jolie development squad uh, who my niece plays for um, unfortunately on that day it was Jolie who came out on top but it's, uh, it's very competitive moving on then from, from the Burnley's team um, to to the national team and the Lionesses who have been in action this week and again some mixed results. So yeah, so it's been a really mixed bag to be honest. The past week, uh, Lionesses have been back in action, but I've seen a few murmurings online that there are some not unhappy fans, but there's a few people just starting to come in doubting Phil Neville's ability. The thing is, his appointment was always going to ask questions, and I know that when we first started talking, when he first got appointed, I was kind of the first to say, "Oh, I'm, I'm not I'm not sure on this. Is it a sort of big name that?" maybe isn't comfortable or doesn't know as much about the women's game but you know from my point of view I can see the Lioness is playing really exciting football and he's giving youth a chance and that's kind of where the up and down results have come in recently so in the past week we've had two games played Austria and Sweden and in the first game the Austria game he played a completely different starting 11 loads of youth in there players in there that were getting their first ever call-ups to the senior team players like Chloe Kelly, Georgia Stanway, Ellie Roebuck and they were going in and we beat Austria 3-0. Now, don't get me wrong, Austria aren't a world-beating team and it wasn't a particularly challenging game for them. But I think for those players to come into that squad, for us to play a completely different eleven, and for them to gel so well to score and, you know, they're still playing a competitive fixture and to be scoring so comfortably, that's without people like Frank Kirby playing, you know, a big kind of goal scorers was was really exciting to see and then on the flip side of that um yesterday we played Sweden and the Swedish team have got a new manager recently and and since have really started to make waves they've never really been in a big big team but they've started to get quite a strong squad together recently and it really showed yesterday and we were beaten 2-0 yesterday and the squad yesterday was a completely different starting eleven to the one that started against Austria. None of kind of the younger players um, were that involved. Went a lot more with the experienced players, and this was a home fixture. It was being played at Rotherham, and it just didn't gel yesterday. Something wasn't right. We are missing quite a few key players. I said like players like Frank Kirby who are out with injury at the moment, and. Those are the people that we do rely on to score. But it was kind of, it did the terrible thing of fulfilling all the stereotypes yesterday. And there was all the kind of keyboard warriors coming out yesterday, criticising women's football because it really was a poor show yesterday. And it wasn't anything to be proud of when you look how far the women's game has come um, and to kind of how how well the national games progressed. Um, so I think there's a lot of disappointed players and I think there's a lot of disappointed fans after the game yesterday. And the, the sad thing is, I think Phil Neville made a comment that he, he wanted to arrange another game before the year years out because we've had such a good year getting some really good results and then to end on that um, yesterday was was really disappointing and there isn't another game now for the rest of the year and for the early part of next year until the She Believes Cup 
So it was a little bit disheartening, really, to end on on that kind of note. But in the in 2019, it's a really, really big year for for the Lionesses team. We've got obviously the She Believes Cup, which is four teams all playing the US, which is the US, England, France, and Germany. I think so. That's kind of a, a tournament that happens, and it's always a good test as to where the teams are and where they're sort of going ahead into a big summer competition. And then the big summer competition next year is the Women's World Cup. So that's been held in France next year. And there's a lot of people that are saying that England are one of, if not the favourite to win. And I think yesterday's game kind of <laughs> shifted that a little bit because you can't afford a performance like that in the World Cup next summer. But I think the the main positive to take away is, is all the new young players that came through in the Austria game. They've got a whole, you know, kind of, eight, nine months to mature before the World Cup to get loads more sort of domestic football experience and hopefully really get a chance in the summer because that for me is where the Lionesses will succeed. We've got some unbelievable young players. Um, a lot of them are playing for the top WSL clubs as well, especially your cities, your Chelsea and your Arsenal. And I think that we could be a really big threat if we go for the youth side. I think my only fear is, is that we might err on the side of caution and play our older, more experienced players. But that showed yesterday that that didn't work. That's not sort of, that's not going to stand up when you're playing against teams like the Netherlands who are, you know, world beaters and and will will easily walk over a team like that yesterday. So it's a really big year next year for women's football. I think that there's been a lot of hype over the past couple of years and, and this World Cup's been really, really built up. So I think the stage is set there for the Lionesses to, to go and do something big. But yesterday's result has given us all a little bit of a wobble, I think. <laughs> yeah, I know Phil Neville said that he, he almost welcomed a defeat as a bit of a, a wake-up call for them so that they didn't get too carried away. I mean, it was only his second defeat since he took charge. And yeah, we saw what Gareth Southgate did with youth in the men's team in the summer. So, you know, maybe Phil will take a leaf from that and, and try and strike a balance uh, between that experience and, and that youthful energy. Uh, I think it's going to be a really big tournament for, for people watching at home next season because it's, you know, it's an odd number year. It's a, a year in between the main tournaments. And, and so people can really start to get engaged as this, you know, as the women's game just seems to be growing year on year. Yeah, definitely. And I think the last World Cup and the last big tournaments have really engaged sort of the, the home crowds here. And, you know, the Rotherham game yesterday, there was 9,000 fans that went there and watched it. And it is a really growing game. I know that there's been a huge uptake for tickets. I think it's like 180,000 tickets or something have been bought for the World Cup in France already. And that's without the, the fixtures being announced. So the draws take place on the 8th of December, I think it is. So obviously there'll be another big spike in, in ticket sales then. So it is really exciting. I think exactly like you said, hopefully Phil Neville will, will take a leaf out of Gareth Southgate's book and, and give youth a chance. And um, it's really, really exciting. But I think that all I can recommend is if anyone's got a spare Sunday, obviously when Burnley FC women aren't playing at home, um, but if anyone's got a spare Sunday, do nip to, you know, go and watch City women, go watch United women, go watch Everton lady. That's where our Lionesses are playing at the moment. Like this Sunday, for example, you've got Everton playing Arsenal at the Everton ground. I think it's Southport FC. It's the chance to go and, you know, especially if you've got daughters and things like that, it's the chance for them to go and see players that are at the top of the women's game. And that's who will be on TV next summer. So so I think, you know, if people can go and support it, like like I always say, it's, you know, it's a fiver. It's sort of, it's 20 quid for a family for a day out. Especially when you go to United Women, they give you free programs, you get to meet all the players and everything. 
so it's a, it's a really nice chance to sort of start building excitement for next summer and and hopefully they can um, perform and it can really start to build a bit of momentum for the years after that as well. So while I've got you here, Gemma, it'd be remiss of me if I didn't ask for your thoughts on how the men's team have done since we last spoke to you. Again, it's been a little up and down. We've had a couple of victories. We've had some heavy defeats and we kind of balanced it all out yesterday. How are you feeling about Burnley FC men's this season? I feel really underwhelmed, if I'm honest. I think that it feels like a completely different atmosphere to last year. Um, I don't know what's what's happening. It just feels like whenever I've seen the team playing, there's not a hunger there. Um, and I don't know whether it's last year that the players were playing for something and as soon as they got this idea of Europe and they got this momentum where they, when you were watching them there was such a hunger and there's such a passion and you know it's the typical the first thing that springs to mind is when you see those Ashley Barnes celebrations photos where his neck muscles are bulging out because there's so much passion this season I don't know if it's just been a bad run of performances and a bad run of results but it just feels like there isn't that hunger there and and I'm not sure what, what it is, to be honest. I think that there's, for me, I don't know why we're not mixing things up and we're not going for playing people like Vidra. Um, and we're making strange selection choices, in my opinion. But then, you know, it's it's all part of the Sean Dash plan. And, and I'm not one to criticise Sean Dash. I, I really like him as a manager. I think he's a fantastic person for Burnley Football Club. But for me, something's just not right at the moment. And I don't know if defensively if there's some kind of issue going on there if it's a personnel issue you've seen all sorts of rumors and things online about there being a clash um of personalities in our defense and you know then you see people sort of absolutely berating Joe Hart I I don't think you could knock Joe Hart I think for him to come into the squad like he has done and save the number of shots that he's done it's not him that we've got to point the finger at in my opinion I think defensively we've been absolutely woeful on occasions so yeah, so I just—it's just not the Burnley that that we've watched for the past couple of years, just leaky and a lot of sort of silly mistakes. And I think that something needs to to change because for me, the bottom half of that Premier League table this season is really shaky. And I think anyone is at risk um, this season. I think that you know the top the top half of the table. I think the top two or three could be decided quite soon and quite early. But for me, the the excitement and the nervousness of this season is going to come in in the bottom half and I think that we've really got to be careful because I think it'd be a real embarrassment for us to be starting the season you know pushing in Europe and and getting all this excitement and then fighting for our lives you know come April time next year and I think for me something has to change or otherwise I do think we could be in that position. Yeah some good points there Gemma um thanks for those thoughts I think uh we've seen Daesh bring us back from these situations before I, I think that's one positive is that you know we we've been relegated and come back when he came in at the start we were leaking goals and he stopped that and built up forward from that so I think we've all just got to maybe bide our time a little bit with him and and as long as we're we're not in that dreaded bottom three then we've just got to keep up facing forward yeah and I think I think having perspective of perspective of the games that we've played as well, you know, we've played City and Chelsea. That I think at the moment anyone could play them, and you you very easily walked all over. And and they do sort of do well what we don't do well. Um, so you know, I think you've got to keep perspective. You know, it's it's still very very early in the season, um, and a lot can happen. And like you say, we do trust in in Sean Dyche, and and I'm sure it'll all be fine. But for me at the moment, it's just not very inspiring, and it's not 
not very exciting to watch, but um, I'm sure it will all come back around and I'm sure we'll, we'll be fine. <laughs> I'm sure we will. Gemma, it's been lovely to have you back on the podcast after the uh, the long break that you've had from us and I'm sure you'll be back on again in a few weeks to, to give another roundup with Natalie. Gemma, thank you very much. Thank you. Cheers. Thanks a lot. Thanks to Gemma there for her review of the Burnley ladies team and the Lionesses and her thoughts on how Burnley have got on this season so far. We've now introduced our fan panel member for this week, who is David Felstead in Perth in Western Australia. And I caught up with David earlier on. people might normally listen to this, maybe not, I don't know. My memories of the, the Clarets go back a long way. I was actually born and grew up four or five streets away from the turf on Olympia Street in Fulwich. Some of my earliest memories of the Clarets was uh, when my dad and my uncles were actually on the turf. I was at home with my granddad who was bedridden and uh, I was actually relaying, because it wasn't on the radio or anything at the time, I was relaying sound of cheers, you know, so if we knew there had been a penalty or if Burnley scored, if there's a big loud roar, he pretty much knew Burnley scored, so I was kind of my uh, granddad's conduit to do what the score was back in those days. I'm going back to the, like, the early 60s and everything, so that was when they were pretty much in the, the heyday. On the street where I lived, uh, two, three doors down, I think next door but one, uh, Ray Pointer and Andy Lockhead would actually, uh, they were lodging there, they were housed there. But uh, in those days, everybody was pretty much a Clarets fan round about the time. Uh, did start going on with my dad when I was probably nine, ten years old, maybe a bit younger. I can't, you can't remember how old you are in them days, but uh, I remember being on a Man United game when uh, George Best and uh, Charlton were playing, and my dad's trying to explain to me tactics and seeing how they're all playing in triangles and how they got round players quite easily because uh, they were nurturing me to be a bit of a player as well, which I, I did pretty much in me from being late teens through to my early 30s so a lot of Saturdays I'd be playing after I finished up giving up the Saturdays just playing on Sunday so I could go on the turf but even when I was um, playing on the Saturdays in Burnley a whole swagger was used to dive in the car and go on the all end at the end and just catch the end of the games and uh, quite a lot of people would do that yeah, and then in my early 20s, I went travelling and to actually keep up with the scores, a lot of the times it was waiting for the uh, the papers to arrive. Might, you know, it might be Monday or Tuesday when the international papers arrived at places, uh, finding out the score, because uh, it wasn't actually that covered in Europe and Scandinavia where I was travelling. Of course, when I came home, I'd get on as many matches as I could. Uh, but probably the main time when I was following them, I'd be on the long side, I'd be watching Leighton James and Paul Fletcher and Alan Stevenson. That, that was a bit of a, a high point. Really loved that. I was going on the Preston game when they got promoted and then all the games that following season, beating Leeds, who'd been the previous year's champion and Paul Fletcher with an overhead kick. All those memories stick out and were uh, going to Liverpool and at the time quite a few of my friends were supported different teams, Sunderland and Chelsea and there was a Rovers fan unfortunately but we'd actually go to all those away games and probably the highlight of that was going to Chelsea catching the late night bus going down after being around the pubs and stuff in Burnley and then arriving early in the morning doing a bit of shopping on the King's Road and then going on the game 
in catching the, the uh, late night bus coming back. But uh, emigrated to Australia in uh, 91 and uh, it was very, very hard to keep up with the results then. I've got pretty much the same thing. I'd be waiting for the, the Sunday papers or mostly it was the Monday paper you could find out those results and that wasn't as if I, you know, I'd probably be ringing my sister who was a Burnley fan to find out the results. I had to do that a few times with the big games. But then uh, when we got through to uh, late 90s when the internet became an issue I could follow them on the uh, the BBC website then but then all of a sudden we could catch them on uh, satellite and I remember having to get uh, Foxtel which is like the equivalent of Sky over here in Australia and then it wasn't free to wear on Foxtel and I had to get hold of Sentanta which was another programme so I was watching most of the championships games again having to get up uh, depending on the time difference it's uh, it's 11 o'clock at night up till like 1 o'clock in the morning and then of course when they're in the premiere I could get them on the Foxtel then all of a sudden that contract got lost so for the last two years I had to get an Android and stream I can stream a lot of the Sky stuff and it's actually quite interesting I could stream some of the European games that it, it looked like it was hard for a lot of the people in Burnley to get but I could manage to stream them as well so uh, a lot of the times particularly the uh, the night games I'm, uh, I'm either stopping up or setting the alarm and getting up just before I go to work and things but yeah it's it's been good watching them uh, over the last few uh, few years actually getting to know the players and everything not just going off reports in papers and stuff and uh, it's actually also interesting watching a few of the uh, Sky programmes and Match of the Day and, and then of course I'm on Facebook with quite a lot of the uh, the websites on there and uh, I'll make a few comments in there but being able to see the play and uh, having been such a long-term fan and seeing them go down to the fourth division and then seeing some of the comments you see on some of these uh, web pages, obviously, you know, people have got used to their success over the last few years. But when you've actually been uh, surrounded by people in United shirts and Liverpool shirts like you get over here and saying you're a Burnley fan and uh, particularly when you're in the third and fourth divisions and uh, and then you win the divisions and then you get back up again and that's all changed. Everybody's very complimentary over the last few years and talking about Sean Dyche, about what a revelation he is and how much he reminds him of people like Brian Clough and real uh, down-to-earth players. I'm, I, I'm, I'm actually quite uh, philosophical about what's going on at the moment. I do think getting into Europe is a, a wonderful thing and uh, had there been a Super League we would have probably won the Premier League being seventh but uh, at the moment we've got some quality players coming back. I'm uh, hopeful that uh, it's going to show some results. They've really played very well on the weekend. Uh, before kicked in he would, he would look like he was a bit more comfortable on the ball. And uh, it's unfortunate we've played over the last three or four weeks all the previous league winners over the last four years playing Chelsea and Man, Man City straight after each other. I don't think anybody likes that. Uh, it's been uh, an interesting few years and uh, I managed to get back. I was back at Christmas and managed to go on the Tottenham game. And uh, even though she didn't say it, my sister thinks it might be a bit of a jinx because we went down 3-0 in that one but I managed to get back on the, the, second, on the second leg in the uh, summer of uh, a couple of the European games so uh, I do manage to get on the turf as much as I can 
but I do watch with interest uh, the games. I do have the benefit of uh, commentary. Uh, it's not always complimentary. I, you know, I've got a quite good knowledge of football with being a player. I was a striker for a lot of years and, and in central defence, but I do have a knowledge of the game and it's interesting hearing some of the comments on how uh, other teams play us. They've lost. We haven't beaten them. And it's, uh, it's one of those things you have to put up with as a Burnley fan. But I'm a Burnley fan, born and bred, and uh, we'll be to my dying day. Thanks to David Felstead there for calling in all the way from Perth, Western Australia and giving us his take on what it's like to be a claret from the other side of the world. So before we wrap up for this week, Dave, do you want to give us your prediction for the Newcastle game? How do you see that one panning out? Um, I'm going to predict a Burnley win for that. I think we're going to win it. Um, if I had to be pushed for a score, and you're going to push me for a score, aren't you? Absolutely. 2-1, um, uh, I would say. I think we're you know, really glad we got the clean sheet against Leicester. And looking back as well, it's Burnley's 38th uh, clean sheet in the Premier League. So we've actually got a full season's worth of, of clean sheets now. But um, I think it might possibly be too much to uh, to ask for another one. It'd be great to get one. But I think I think 2-1's my prediction against Newcastle. Uh, exciting game in front of the cameras and uh, a Burnley win. Lovely. Personally, I think it might be a little tighter. I think uh, we may just edge it 1-0. So uh, I'll go for a Burnley win as well. So fingers crossed for that one. Dave... Thanks for joining me this evening. Welcome. I'm sure Natalie will speak to you when she's back from the holidays after the Newcastle game. So that just about wraps it up for this week on the Known and Never podcast. My thanks to Dave Roberts for joining me. Unfortunately, Robbie couldn't join us due to internet issues, but I'm sure he'll correct those and join Natalie after the Newcastle game. Thanks again to Gemma for giving us a roundup on the Burnley Ladies Lionesses. And also thanks to David for joining us from Australia. Whilst we were recording this evening, there was some more good news for the Clarets, as Burnley FC in the community won the Northwest Football Awards Community Club of the Year for the Premier League for the fourth year in a row. So congratulations to them. Known and Never podcast will return after the Newcastle game, with Natalie Bromley back in the hot seat. Joining us on the podcast in the coming weeks, we've got Chris Bowden from the Burnley Express coming on to talk to us. We've got Burnley legend Andy Payton coming on. And we'll also be talking to representatives from the Burnley Football Ladies team. Final thanks, as always, go to you, the listeners, for downloading and listening to the podcast. I've been producer Matt. This has been the No Name Never podcast. Until next time. days are great but there's nothing quite like playing at home the same goes for mcdonald's maximize your home ground advantage with mcdelivery order now on the mcdonald's app at participating restaurants 18 plus serving times delivery fee and terms apply see mcdonald's.com and there it is that's as good as it gets on this stage nissan townstar ev strikes again it's an unstoppable van unstoppable just fantastic you can actually see the pro pilot technology in action effortless parallel parking it moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty and with a bench full of all-star van experts there's real strength in depth here that's all-star quality search nissan townstar ev and visit your local all-star van center to see for yourself 
Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.